Good morning, Lighthouse. My name is Toshi. As you may know, I was back in the U.S. for three weeks this time with my wife, Machiko, and our five-year-old son, Aaron, and two-year-old daughter, Nina. For those of you who don't know me, I was an intern at Lighthouse for about a year and a half, uh, starting in 2018, and returned to Japan with my family to do church planting in Nagoya, uh, Japan, about four years ago, uh, in 2019. And we're going back to Japan to, again tomorrow, and it is only by God's grace and your prayers and support that we were able to visit Lighthouse again uh, after four years like this and have such a wonderful time together. So thank you so much. Now what Pastor Kim asked me to do today is to share with you the update on the church plant and the need for missions in Japan. First of all, I would like to give, you, give an update. The last time I shared with you about our church, Logos Community Church, was about a year ago. This past year has been a very rich year for Logos, as many things have happened. At Logos Church, we're currently studying Philippians, and our hope is that through this study, we will grow in Christian joy and gospel-centered discipleship. Paul begins this letter by thanking the Lord for the fellowship or partnership in the gospel that he has with the Philippian church. And we at Logos feel this fellowship in the gospel is what we have with you, Lighthouse family. It is because of you who have supported us in prayer, in finance, in ministry, and leadership care that we, were, we are where we are today, striving to make gospel-centered disciples uh, in the land of Japan. We're truly grateful for your partnership in the gospel. And I heard it's been uh, around two years since the U.S. removed various restrictions on COVID, but in Japan, it was only four months ago uh, that COVID began to be treated like a seasonal flu. So for us who use community centers uh, for our gatherings on Sunday, the removal of restrictions was a big deal. For example, before there was a limit to the number of people in a room. So even if a room could accommodate 40 people, uh, only half of that number, 20 people, could enter the room. Now, with such restrictions removed, it has become easier for more people to participate. Also, with the lifting of the COVID restrictions, uh, we are happy to report that many people from Lighthouse have visited us during the past year. I think I have some pictures, yeah. And Hide and I have a monthly meeting with Pastor Gavin on Zoom, and he always checks in with us to make sure that Lighthouse people are not becoming a burden to us by coming to Lagos. We are so grateful for Pastor Gavin's thoughtfulness. But I also want you to know that it is a great encouragement for us to be able to worship and fellowship with you in Japan. So if you have the opportunity, please come. Just don't come with 30 other people at once. <laughs> or just make sure to bring a Pastor Kim and Nicole Kosobayashi with you so that they can run the Sunday service and children's ministry. Another great encouragement we have received over the past year is that the Lord has given us new people to walk with as new members of the church. Our flock has grown from about 15 people a year and a half ago to about 30 people now. We have some pictures. Yeah. And as for ministry, we had our first all-church retreat in November last year. And our small group has also begun uh, this year. We also had opportunities to share the gospel with people in Nagoya through a Christmas party and an Easter event. And among other things, 
we had our first VBS in four years, and uh, this one is the very first VBS for Lagos uh, this past July. And from here, I would like to share with you what this VBS reminded me about the need for missions in Japan. So I don't know about Lighthouse, but for Logos, this VBS was our biggest gospel mission opportunity by far, with over 40 children in attendance, more than half of whom are from unchurched families. And last week, I was talking with Pastor Ryan Narasaki. When talking with him about a church in America, he said, there's a big difference between being forced to go to church by parents and when the children actually want to go to church. And that comment made me think about the children who attended this year's, year's VBS. Because I was leading a group of upper elementary school students, and at one point, three or four children said, this VBS is so fun. I wish this was a school every day instead. So I was, I was surprised to hear that, but I was also glad to hear that. And one thing uh, I was taught through VBS is that people who have attended uh, our previous past VBS uh, before are looking for personal friendships with the Lighthouse team. I think many people in Japan feel so special to have someone from the US come to Japan and be uh, friends with them. During this VBS, people who would not normally come to Lagos came to church because Cindy Kobayashi was there. And some people asked if the past Lighthouse team members are coming to Japan again because they miss them. And after the VBS, one of our non-Christian friends from Aaron's preschool asked us, do you offer any English classes at your church? So the need and opportunities are there. But there's only so much we can do at Logos right now. And most of you will be involved in Japan mission as prayers and senders. However, some of you may be led to go out like the Kamimura family and the Gonzalez family. For those of you who are considering going, I want to encourage you. Whether you are single or married or young or old, there are people in Japan whom you can uh, share the gospel. And I believe that there are people who can be reached out to because you're not actually from Japan. As I was preparing this, uh, my wife pointed, at, pointed this out to me. But growing up in Japan, I actually didn't know anybody uh, who was a Christian. And in a sense, I became a Christian only because I met Christians here in the States. My wife grew up in the church in Japan because uh, a missionary evangelized her grandma years ago. Hide uh, became a Christian through the help of a missionary while in college in Japan. And Hide's wife, Yasuo, also became a Christian in the States like myself. The point is, most people in Japan still do not have the opportunity to hear the gospel unless there's a Christian in their family, or they meet a missionary, or they move overseas. Japan needs more Christians, missionaries, and churches. We at Logos are so looking forward to having the Kamimura family and the Gonzalez family to come to Japan. Please remember them in your prayers, support them, and send them out. I believe this will deepen the partnership in the gospel between Lighthouse and Logos, and we will all share in the grace of seeing our Lord's work together for the praise of his glory. Thank you. Well, thank you, Toshi, for sharing your heart with us and expending your life for Christ in your homeland of Japan. We're so thankful to have you here with us today, brother. 
Well, good morning. It's certainly a joy and a privilege for me to be with you here this morning. And I'd like to just get, take a moment to thank Pastor Kim, um, sorry, I mean Sensei Kira, and all of the elders for the opportunity to preach with you this morning, um, to preach the Word of God to my church family. So why don't we open with a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be here with to be able to worship you, to praise you, to give you thanks for the work that you've done in our lives and hopefully the work you'll do in the lives of our children and in our neighborhoods and to all those whom we interact with. Father, we pray that you use us for the gospel, that you would draw more people to yourself as we seek to partner in the gospel for your name's sake. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Alessandro Gonzalez, and even though Alessandro is an Italian name, I am not Italian. I'm actually half Chinese and half Nicaraguan. So growing up as a half Chinese and half Hispanic, it's created a unique learning experience for me. So I grew up in Alabama for about eight years, and then I lived in Nicaragua for seven years before finally moving to LA and was surrounded by a lot of Asians. And what I learned is that I don't necessarily fit into any of these groups. The Hispanics freak out when I speak Spanish to them because they think I'm Asian. The Asians don't believe me when I tell them that I'm actually Chinese. And the good folks in Alabama, well, they just don't know what to do with me. <laughs> But you know, it's, it's all okay. Because after being saved by the grace of God as a young adult in my late 20s, I learned that I'm always welcome in the family of God because of who we are in Christ. See, we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ alone. Now, through my time in seminary, my heart was drawn towards missions. And so we sat down and started to strategize, you know, where might we go so we can serve Christ? And the biggest question on the table was, you know, where is it that I might not fit in even more? And so, sure enough, we're going to Japan. <laughs> But as you've heard, you know, my family and I are planning and preparing to be sent out as missionaries to Japan in February of next year. And of course, it's not so that we don't fit in. But we have a desire to be ambassadors for Christ, making, na- making known the name of Christ and preaching the good news to the people of Japan. So Lord willing, in just over five months, we'll be on a one-way flight to Japan to live there and to make disciples of Christ. As you know, Japan is a country that seemingly has everything like good education, a developed economy, and advanced medicine. Yet the overwhelming majority of the people there do not know Christ. So Japan has a population of about 123 million people, and less than 2% are actually Christian. And that makes them one of the largest, if not the largest, language group without Christ. Now, the vast amount of Japanese people have never met a Christian, and they may never meet a Christian face-to-face. So they've never heard about the love of Christ displayed on the cross. They've never heard of the love that he has for them. So again, that's over 120 million people who will perish if they do not hear and believe in the gospel. So that's part of our heart motivation for my family and I to go and to tell them about Christ. The Great Commission calls us all, it calls all of us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. 
And some of us are doing that right here in our own town, but some of us are going across the world to do that, to fulfill the Great Commission. And some of us are goers and some of us are senders. And as we, the body of Christ, the church, as we seek to do this, it's clear in Scripture that the Great Commission requires partnership. Even as my family and I prepare to go to Japan, I know that we need partners. And while there's a massive need in Japan, the reality is is that we simply would not be able to go if we don't have partners in the gospel. So my goal today is to show you how Paul and the Philippian church were partners in the gospel so that we can have a clear and biblical view of what partnership with the missionary might look like. And as we look at this example in Scripture, I hope to give you some examples of how you can partner with us and other missionaries in gospel ministry. I really want to peg this outline into your mind so that it remains with you forever. And so let's do that. Let's peg the outline in our minds because that is the outline. Prayer, encouragement, and giving. So peg, prayer, encouragement, and giving. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles over to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll start by looking at verse 3. Now this is the beginning of Paul's letter as he is greeting them. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, just in these few short opening verses, Paul is laying bare his heart for the Philippian church. Now, Paul's heart is filled to the brim and overflowing with affections that manifest itself through thanksgiving and prayer and joy. Now, Paul's affection is much like that of a father to a son who was raised and is now under um, his care and who's also striving with him for the sake of the gospel. Now, to a large degree, it's all because of the Philippians' partnership with Paul in the gospel, their commitment to Christ in saving the lost. Now, as Paul opens his letter, we're clued in that, um, we're clued in that they've been partners in the gospel from the very beginning. So by way of reminder from Acts 16, their partnership began on Paul's second missionary journey. So he had reached the point where he had tried to go this way and that, but he was prohibited until finally he was given direction from God to go into Macedonia. And there he preached the gospel in Philippi, and many people believed, and they were able to plant a church there. I'm sure that they called it First Baptist Church of Philippi, or something like that. But eventually the people in the city were stirred up against Paul, and he was beaten, and he was thrown into prison. Eventually, he was released, but he was asked to leave the city. And so he had to leave, and he went to minister over in Thessalonica. Now, that was the beginning of the partnership in the gospel between Paul and the Philippians. And now from that time up to the writing of this letter, some 10 years have gone by. And now, once again, Paul is under imprisonment, but this time in Rome. And even though 10 years have gone by, this partnership, this Fellowship in the gospel has only gotten stronger. The Philippians, they are not looking at each other saying, ay, 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 mi Pablito, pero why are you in jail again? No. Their commitment and their devotion to Christ and to one another is only being fortified through this furnace of affliction. And so let's see how Paul leans in on this partnership in prayer. 
Now, for context, again, Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and now he's waiting to see whether he's going to be released or whether he's going to be executed for the sake of the gospel. So let's look a little further down in verses 18 to 21. And there Paul writes, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul is confident that through the Philippians' prayers and through the help of the Spirit, he will be delivered. But as you can tell, it's not necessarily delivered from execution. He's referring to be able to be courageous for the name of Christ, whether he's released or whether he's executed, whether by life or by death. Paul wants Christ to be honored in his steadfastness in the gospel. So Paul's life is hanging in the balance, and he anticipates this conclusion that it's imminent. Now, there's a pressure to cave in and be ashamed of Christ, to be ashamed of the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. And so he sends this letter. He sends this newsletter update, if you will, requesting that the Philippians pray for him. He needs their prayers and support so that he can be courageous and stand firm in the gospel. Well, just like Paul, every missionary has many diverse and great needs for prayer. Now, being on the field presents missionaries with all kinds of challenges and difficulties that we might be completely oblivious to, unless we're in partnership with them and they trust us to pray for them. They certainly have many fears and tons of uncertainty around life circumstances that we most likely take for granted. And as we're partnering with the gospel, excuse me, partnering with you in the gospel for Japan, we want to share some of the prayer needs that we have so that we can be courageous on the field. I think one of the greatest fears for my my wife, Chenpei, revolves around our children. Now, clearly, we are not Japanese and we don't look Japanese. And it's no secret that Japanese society is one of conformity and not standing out. Well, our kids are going to stick out like a sore thumb. They're brown-skinned, and they have brown hair, and they'll speak funny. And to the Japanese, they might even smell funny, especially given the amount they sweat out on the playground. Now, they definitely don't have the Japanese no-sweat gene. Um, You know, that's a thing, because if you look online, you'll find that Japanese people actually think foreigners have this unique smell. And so what happens is all of this translates into fears for my wife, right? Will our kids have any friends? Will they be shunned by their classmates? Or will they grow up and be okay? Or will they be miserable and grow a distaste for Japan or even resent the gospel because of hardship that they might face there? Will they be bullied so much that they have to leave the school? And this is a real concern because, as we've heard from other missionaries, some of them have actually had to come off of the field due to the suffering of their children. And so we need your prayers to work through those fears and for our children's hearts as they grow up in Japan. We need prayer to trust the Lord through all those potential situations and to have wisdom and how best to raise our kids in a context where the deck is so stacked against them. 
We'll be in an environment that's not conducive for Christians to thrive in general and much less for kids. And so please pray for us to foster that environment in the home. Not just to a large degree, but to an exponential degree. Not only for the sake of our children, but also for our own sake. Now why do I say for our own sake? Let me share with you another prayer request that you may not have thought of. I want you to pray for the sin in our hearts. See, we've been warned many times during our training to to be missionaries that going out onto the mission field is like pouring miracle grow on your sin. It's like backing up the dump truck and dumping out all the fertilizer on your propensity to sin. And if we're not careful, we'll end up nourishing those sinful fruits in our lives instead of cultivating godly fruit in order to point people to Christ. And so there really is a great need for prayer for our own spiritual health. As you can imagine, it gets pretty easy to get frustrated and lose your temper with your family in the middle of trying to set up a new home and getting your kids enrolled in school, going to the DMV, figuring out the medical system, and everything else that is all in a totally new environment with a new language and a new culture. So there's plenty of opportunity for frustration to lead to impatience and to lead to anger in that kind of environment. So pray that we and every missionary will be diligent, diligent in the fundamentals of staying in the word, being in prayer, and fellowshipping honestly with other believers there. Now those are some of the fears and needs for which we need your prayers. But what about other missionaries that you may be partnered with? What are some of the needs and prayers that they might have? Now, if you don't know any missionaries or their specific needs, let me encourage you to just pray through the scriptures for them, right? Read through the book of Acts, read through the epistles, and pray for all of the issues that you see there in the scriptures, because I'll let you in on a little secret, right? Missionaries are not super Christians. They are just ordinary Christians, ordinary Christians with similar life issues as you and with additional challenges and dangers of being distracted from Christ. See, it's easy for them to be discouraged since they're in this non-Christian environment. And so pray for their families, pray for their marriages, but above all, pray for their devotion to Christ. And pray that they would be in love with the one who laid down his life for them. And pray that their very heartbeat would be in rhythm with the Lord that they serve. So there are a lot of challenges on the field, but when our hearts are set on the light of Christ, they become opportunities to reflect the love of Christ and to shine brightly in the dark world that desperately needs him. So please pray for our missionaries. They need our partnership in the gospel. And as we prepare to go out into the field, we need your partnership in the gospel. So we have seen how the Philippians partnered with Paul in prayer and some modern examples of that. Now let's look at the second way they partnered with Paul, and that's through encouragement. Encouragement. Now Paul has been under imprisonment for some time now that he's in Rome, and Paul has actually been, he was actually arrested in Jerusalem and eventually sent up north to Caesarea before appealing to Caesar and then being sent to Rome. So he's been under imprisonment for three or four years at this point, and it's been about five years since the last time he was in Philippi. Now, Paul's been through a lot over these last five years since he saw the Philippians, and now the Philippians hear about Paul being imprisoned, and so let's see what they do. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 25, Philippians 2, verse 25. Now, Paul says, 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So when the Philippians heard about Paul, they sent this brother Epaphroditus all the way to Rome to deliver a message and to minister to Paul's need. Now, this is such a great example of their love and their affection for Paul, right? It highlights their commitment to the gospel and their partnership with him. So going from Philippi to Rome was no easy task. It's an 800-mile journey, whether by foot or animal or ship. And now 800 miles anywhere is way too far, especially when you're leaving from the South Bay. Right? I assume that the ramen really wasn't that good in Philippi anyway, and so either way, 800 miles is a long way for Epaphroditus to go. Now, the point is, is that it's, it's a little less than hiking from here all the way up to Portland, Oregon. Now, you can imagine you know, walking all the way from here to Portland just to see your friend who's under arrest. This would require a pretty monumental effort. Now, Epaphroditus likely traveled during the night so that he wouldn't be seen by thieves and robbers. And walking under the stars, he may have heard the growls and howls of dangerous animals thinking that they found their next meal. But each step of the way, each step on that journey, he's one foot closer to seeing his fellow brother, his fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And he's on this trek to bring him a message and to serve his needs. So what a blessing to be Epaphroditus and to fill this role in the apostle's life. Right? The brother's commitment to Paul and the gospel is next level. Right? He's willing to extend himself in order to minister to Paul's needs and to be this amazing bridge, this vital conduit of love from the entire Philippian church to their partner in the gospel out on the field. What a privilege to be an Epaphroditus and to be a funnel of encouragement and love to that missionary. And you can imagine the encouragement that Paul felt upon seeing his brother after so many years and being so far apart. Now, in a way, there's been a lot of Epaphroditus this summer from Lighthouse, as Toshi mentioned. Now, many of you have actually gone to Japan and made it a point to stop and spend time in our church plant in Nagoya. Now, it would be great if just one person had stopped by, but it's been many visitors who have stopped in and joined them for worship, joined them for a meal, and even take some ministry items that they needed for their VBS in the summer. Now, throughout the whole summer, the entire church family in Nagoya was greatly encouraged because you went to visit them and to minister to their needs. Now, there's even a sister who goes each summer specifically to visit and to encourage the various missionaries that are there in Nagoya. So praise the Lord that all of these visitors serve to strengthen the partnership that exists between Lighthouse and our church plant, Lagos. Now, maybe that's something that you can consider visiting missionaries, visiting them whether they are in Japan or whether they're in another country. It will require the giving of your time, and it may be physically challenging like it was for Epaphroditus, but it will be such a blessing to that missionary. You can go. You can encourage them. You can refresh their hearts and hopefully that will give them enough to continue serving on that field for the next few months or even for the next year. Now, another quick and easy way for you to be able to encourage a missionary on the field is 
when you receive and you read through their newsletter update, if you stop in that moment and you pray through their prayer request, and you hit the reply button and let them know, brother, sister, I am praying for you, and I want you to be encouraged. Now, that doesn't cost you much, but it will mean the world to that fellow missionary on the field. Now, there's another fear on my heart that my family will certainly need your prayers for and your encouragement. See, my wife has this untreatable genetic disease that is slowly taking away her eyesight. And it's been deteriorating her sight for years, but it's starting to affect her more now. And it's a slow process that will be years of constant adjustment for our family. And when we move to Japan, she'll have to give up driving because it just won't be feasible for her at that point anymore. And so as a husband, I have a lot of concerns for her. Right? She won't be able to drive around anymore, but you know, will she be able to get around on a bike? You know, or will she be walking around by herself? Will she be okay? Will she stumble and fall into a ditch? And will people be willing to help her if she's lost, or will they just avoid her? Will people be comfortable to be friends with her? Will they feel comfortable to come into our home to have a meal with us once she's totally lost her sight? You know, I worry about these daily life challenges that will come for her, but I also worry about the impact, both positive and negative, that it will have on the ministry. Because let's be honest, right? It will certainly have an impact on our life and ministry. But this disability is part of God's grace in our lives. And though it's something, and that's something that we've learned here in our time at Lighthouse, serving through bridge ministry and seeing and knowing some of the families here. Now we're often reminded that these, these trials are not just difficulties in our life, but they're part of God's plan to draw us closer to himself and bring others along the way too. Now nothing makes this clearer to me than in John chapter 9, when the disciples asked Jesus, who was it that sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be put on display in him. Now that passage gives me incredible hope, but it also gives me great confidence that Chen Pei losing her sight is so that others can see Christ. Now, how exactly is that going to play out? Only God knows. And perhaps the Lord will use us to reach out to Japanese people who are also visually impaired. And even though they might not be able to see the world clearly, they'll have a clear vision of Christ. Perhaps he'll use us to start a disabilities ministry in the local church so that the entire church family can show the mercy and the grace of God as we live in this gospel-centered community. And the Lord can use us for a million great things in our lives and others. But once we get there, it's going to be real, and it's going to be hard. And we're going to need your encouragement. We're going to need those emails and those letters encouraging us and to press on in the grace of God for the glory of Christ. And they will be a tremendous help to us personally, but we'll also need that encouragement and those reminders so that the people in Japan will be able to see the gospel. So missionaries need your prayers, and they need your encouragement. Right? That's two of the three points we want pegged in our minds. And the third way to partner in the gospel is through giving. 
giving. Now, you recall that Paul had ministered for a while in Philippi, and he was forced to leave, and according to Acts 17, he went to Thessalonica and ministered there for a brief time before he was persecuted and had to leave there too. But in this next passage from Philippians 4, we'll see how the Philippians partnered with Paul through their giving at the very beginning and even up to this point 10 years later. So look with me at Philippians 4, verses 14 to 20. Philippians 4, starting in verse 14. And Paul writes there, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is a helpful picture of partnering with missionaries through giving. Right? It's instructive for both the missionary and for the partners, for the goers and for the senders. Now the easy part to see is the fact that the Philippians were generous in their giving to support Paul in gospel ministry. Now even though Paul was in Thessalonica for only a brief time from maybe a couple of weeks to a few months, the Philippians were able to send him two gifts to support him. And even now, 10 years later, they send him a gift with Epaphroditus, and Paul describes them as being well-supplied, as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, this highlights the generosity and their commitment to be partnered with Paul in the gospel. Now, missionaries on the field commit the majority of their time to evangelizing to the lost, equipping the saints for the local church, raising up new leaders so that they can shepherd that local church, and so that they can then go and plant another church and repeat that whole process. Now, all of that requires, a lot of, uh, requires partnership in the gospel through giving, so that the missionary can focus on that work. Now, the Philippians saw that, and, that, and they were committed to supporting Paul for the sake of the gospel. Now, that's the part that's readily seen in the text. But the part that's less obvious is actually instructive for the missionary. So Paul says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, no doubt, Paul is very thankful to receive this gift from the Philippians. Now, obviously, it's a huge help to receive physical and financial support from anyone, especially when you're on the field and trying to maximize your time to minister the gospel. But Paul is not interested in receiving the gift for himself, right? That's not his main goal. But what Paul is really after is the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, Paul is really interested in the benefit of his partners. Now, Paul knows that as the Philippians are giving to the ministry, they're actually storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and no thief can steal, and Paul also knows that where their treasure is, their heart will be also. And so Paul here has the right perspective. He's not interested in swindling the people out of their money for his own benefit. He really cares about where the Philippians' heart is at, and he's delighted. 
that their heart is centered on the gospel, centered on Christ. Because as their heart is centered on Christ and they give to support gospel ministry, he knows that their hearts will be drawn even more to Christ. And as they pray for the missionaries on the field, Paul is fully confident that their own very souls will benefit from approaching the throne of grace. And as they seek to encourage the missionary, he knows that they will also be mutually encouraged as they hear what the Lord is doing on the front lines. So this is very instructive both for the missionary and for the senders. Right? He has this desire that their hearts be centered on Christ and that he wants to do all that he can to encourage them to spiritual maturity and to love for Christ. It's instructive to his partners to realize that partnering in the gospel is not only a great benefit to the missionary, but it's also good for their own souls. Now, let me be candid, if I may. Right? It's not easy to ask for money. Right? It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And so it's not easy for me to ask you to partner with us through giving. But one of the comforts that I have is that I get to do this knowing that ultimately it's for your good. Seeing this passage helps me so that I remember it's for the gospel and that it's for you. It helps me remember that I'm not asking on behalf of myself, but I'm asking on behalf of the lost people in Japan, on behalf of the glory of Christ, and on behalf of your own benefit. See, we need your financial support for the gospel in Japan. But like Paul, we also want your benefit, the fruit that increases to your credit. So brothers and sisters, if I may humbly agree with the Apostle Paul, I have always wanted your love for Christ to abound all the more. That has been my desire for you over the last two years. And that is my desire for you now, and that is my desire for many years to come. I want your love for Christ to increase every single day until the day you see him face to face. Now, as we conclude, there's just one more joy and fear weighing on my heart that I would like to share with you. And that is the loss of all of you, the loss of our church family. We have been incredibly blessed over the last two years in being part of the Lighthouse family. We've been in three different small groups. We've gotten to know you through serving in Beacon and Praxis and Equip classes and Nightlight. We've been in counseling classes together. You've blessed us in giving us your counsel when we fail and we've sinned. We've discussed the blessing and challenges of life outside on the playground and we've worshiped here together with you each Sunday. You've brought meals to our home, you've ministered to our kids in Sunday school, and you've even helped get our oldest son into a Japanese kindergarten. So in short, we've done life together over these last two years. And it has probably been the greatest blessing of our lives outside of getting saved. Now, just like Paul had the Philippians in his heart, so we hold you in our hearts as well. And we will certainly miss all of you.
Because you have been the best partners in the gospel that anyone could ever hope for. And I hope that even though we'll be physically apart, that we'll be able to continue as partners in the gospel for many years to come through prayer and through encouragement and through giving for the sake of Christ and for the sake of people in Japan. Let's close a word of prayer. Our Father, we are so incredibly thankful because you shower your love upon us so much more than we even realize. You've saved us from our sins. You help us to grow in Christ-likeness every day. And you use us for your glory. You allow us to serve you, Lord. And Father, you continue to shower blessing upon blessing for each and every one of us. So Father, help us to return that love to you, to love you and magnify you and glorify you with everything. Lord, lead us this day. And as your word says, you'll never abandon us, you'll never forsake us. And Father, we hold on to that promise. We love you and we praise you and we ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.